Welcome to Inspired Motivation, your daily dose of inspiration and motivation to help you achieve your goals and live your best life. Every day, we bring you motivational speeches from a variety of individuals who have overcome challenges and achieved success in their own lives. Whether you're looking for inspiration to pursue your dreams, guidance on personal development, or strategies for goal setting, our speakers have the experience and expertise to help you reach your full potential. So join us every day as we inspire and motivate you to take positive action in your life and make your dreams a reality. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. If you concentrate solely on your career, you can get a long way in your career. And I would say that that's a strategy that a minority of men preferentially do that that's all they do they work like 70 80 hours a week they go flat out on their career they're staking everything on the small probability of exceptional status in a narrow domain but it's it's hard on them they don't have a life it's very difficult for them to have a family they don't know how to take any leisure activity like they get very one-dimensional now it may be that that unidimensionality is the price you have to pay to be exceptional at one thing Right, because if you're going to be something like a genius level mathematician and you want to do that for, or a scientist say, it's like you're in your lab, you're in your lab all the time, you're working 70 hours a week or 80 hours a week, you're smart, you're dedicated, you're unidimensional, and that's how you get to beat all the other people who are doing that. It's the only way. But the problem is you don't get a life. Now, if you love being a scientist and you have that kind of focus of mind, well, first of all, you're a rare person, and second, you're going to pay for it. But fine, more power to you. It's like, well, you want to be an outstanding scientist. It's like, okay, really, really, that's what you want. Because that means that's what you do. Because you're competing with other people. You know, they're smart, they're hardworking. And if you want to be at the top, you have to be smarter and work harder than any of them. And working hard means working long hours. I mean, it also means working diligently, but in, in the final analysis, it's all, also an additive issue. If I'm smart and hardworking and I can crank out for 70 hours a week and you do it for 30, 
It's like, in two years, I'm so far ahead of you, you will never, ever catch up. How do you explain so many men, so many young men, who follow you, listen to you? Because they need encouragement. What if I told you that you're playing on young men's distress to make all that money? Fact Look, is, I've said right from the beginning that I'm an evil capitalist. I don't make <laughs> any bones about it. I'm not ashamed of making money. It's very hard to make money. My book is selling about 20,000 copies a week. I have royalties that probably amount to something approximating $1.50 on each of those. The tours garner about $35,000 to $50,000 an evening. I have a business that's generating something in the neighborhood of $200,000 a month for me personally. Well, is there something wrong with, with generating money? It's like, well, it depends on what you're going to do with the money. Mm. You know, like if you're going to spend it all on and then probably that's reprehensible. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to be a lateral thinker. And so you'll be the sort of person, if they hear an idea, if you hear an idea, that will trigger off a whole bunch of other ideas. And you'll be motivated primarily by interest in pursuing your ideas. But your, your downfall is likely to be organizational administrative ability. So it's often useful for entrepreneurial types to pair themselves with managerial and administrative types. And there, there's this weird tension mm. between doing one thing right, which is what you need to do if, you're, if you've already decided what it is that you're doing, and scanning the landscape for something new to do that would be worthwhile. Those aren't the same enterprises. Mm. And so most companies are an uneasy marriage of entrepreneurial and managerial types. As the company gets more and more established, the managerial and administrative types tend to dominate. But then that becomes problematic because it means it's more and more difficult for the company to shift mm. laterally when yeah. it has to. Which is, again, I think why so many companies eventually fail. Because they, yeah. they lose the creative head, is that what you mean? Sure, they lose yeah. the flexibility. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because they're trying to maximize their ability to implement, but it's very difficult to do that without also simultaneously bearing the cost of narrowing. Mm. Right. Yeah. So the thing is, is if, if you know what you're doing, you want to hire a conservative. If you don't know what you're doing, you want to hire a liberal. That's the, that's the problem. The fundamental problem is most new ideas are stupid, dangerous, and counterproductive. And they're the ones but that change the world. <laughs> well, 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 they are sometimes, mm. they are sometimes, but there's a subset of new ideas that even though new ideas are dangerous and disruptive and often counterproductive and generally don't result in a productive company, mm. some of them are absolutely necessary and they're the thing you need to do next. Mm. And so. And, and that's a very difficult problem to solve because it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the fundamental problem of innovation. Mm. It's like most innovations aren't justified or warranted, but some of them are absolutely crucial. So how do you distinguish between them? And mm. the answer is, well, we, we don't know. Uh, the, part of the way that you do that in a dynamic economy is you let and encourage a whole host of entrepreneurs to produce their ideas and you let almost all of them fail, which is kind of painful for the entrepreneurs. Mm. The other thing you see often with entrepreneurs is that they fail a lot before they succeed. And so, I mean, you have to be pretty damn spectacularly lucky to have your first idea mm. when you don't know what the hell you're doing mm. be a spectacular success. Or maybe it's a good idea, but you weren't ready. 
and you're oh, more yes. ready. Or the, or or the marketplace isn't yeah. ready. Or I mean, that's the other thing that people don't really understand is because if you're a naive entrepreneur, you think, well, all I have to do is make a great product. It's like, no, that's about 5%. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that shocked the hell out of me when I started building software, for example, mm. because we assumed that we, we, we developed software to help people um, select better employees and we never could sell it except in, in very rare circumstances. But we assumed that if we had a product that was validated, we could show that it had the effects that we wanted and that it was more efficient than other products in the marketplace, that selling it would be easy. It's like, well, that's just so wrong. Well, and you don't know how to price it. Yeah. And you don't know who to talk to to sell it. You know, you can spend your whole life, especially if you're selling to companies, which is virtually impossible, talking to the wrong people. And it mm. feels like work, and it really is work, but yeah. you never end up contacting a real decision maker. Or, and then you can't tolerate the excessive delay. Like you think, well, I'm going to go sell this product to a big company because because they can obviously provide me with a massive contract. It's like, yeah, but there's a relationship between the size of the company and the delay yes. in the implementation. And the de delay can be years. Yeah. And then what this is what this happened to us all the time. It was very painful. Um, we'd get right to the point of signing with a large company and there'd be an internal management transformation and the person that we were dealing with Gone. would disappear. Yeah. It's like, oh no, it's <laughs> like, now what? We actually had that happen with a really big company in New York. We were right on the verge of signing uh, a contract for use of this self-authoring program that we designed, which helps people plan their lives. And the, the week that we were ready to sign the contract, the CEO resigned. So, yeah. gone. Two, was probably a year of sales and marketing work just evaporate. Yeah. They emphasize the development of the company, but they don't force their entrepreneurs to find customers because your first customer is the most difficult thing you'll ever do as a business person, in, in my experience, to find someone who will actually pay you that first time. That isn't your mom. Yeah, that's right. Know. Well, that's yeah. right. That isn't a family yeah. member. That's an actual customer. Yeah. And the, the other problem that people face when they're trying to sell a new product is one of, the one of the ways that people decide whether they're going to buy something is whether or not A, they know anyone else who's already bought it, or B, if there's other people in their domain that are already using it. Mm. And if, if your sales pitch is, well, no, this is new and revolutionary, you think, well, that's a wonderful sales pitch. It is like it is if you're talking to someone who's entrepreneurial and risk-taking and interest and interested in revolutionary ideas. But if you're talking to a middle manager in a company, the last thing that person wants to hear is, well, you could be a risk taker and introduce this into your company. The person's yeah. thinking, I don't want to put my job mm -hmm. or reputation on the line for your product, even if it is revolutionary, in part because if it succeeds, I probably won't be rewarded for its success. And I came out of the whole enterprise with way more respect for people, especially for people who do sales. Mm. Jesus, that's such a brutal job. Yeah. And, you know, when people are, they have a, what, it's easy for people to, it, it's even a popular trope to be somewhat contemptuous of salespeople, you know. It's really, really hard to be a good mm. salesperson. And people like that are unbelievably rare and they're unbelievably valuable. It's virtually impossible for you to monetize your product. That's the first thing you have to understand. So maybe you'll get lucky and you'll figure out a, uh, a strategy. But if you add contempt 
for the sales and marketing process to that impossibility, you can be bloody well sure that all you're going to do is starve. Mm. So, so you better drop your contempt for the sales and marketing end of this if you, if you want to sustain yourself through your life. And that's going to be a prerequisite for your creative endeavor. Yeah. And so, and art schools and, and, and establishments like that do an absolutely dreadful job of... Well, they don't teach it. Not, I, I not was an artist. All. I was an artist. I went through art school. Yeah. They don't teach it. No. Never once. No, I know. I know. And it's... it's and I mean... How I, are you going to commercialize your venture? How are you going to pay for your mortgage? Hmm. What, just... How are you going to buy food? Yeah, with a, just like, a paintbrush and a canvas. Oh, Jesus. And, it, and well, and artists are in particularly dire position because as a, a visual artist for example you're not only competing with all the visual artists that now exist and there's plenty of them but you're also competing with all the dead artists who were way who, who already have an established reputation mm. and a body of work that's that's being what what is still being exchanged in the marketplace yeah. what could you do to improve yourself well let's step one step backwards the first question might be why should you even bother improving yourself and I think the answer to that is something like, so you don't suffer any more stupidly than you have to. And maybe so others don't have to either. It's something like that. You know, like there's a real injunction at the bottom of it. It's not some casual self-help doctrine. It's that if you don't organize yourself properly, you'll pay for it. And in a big way, and so will the people around you. Now, and you could say, well, I don't care about that, but that's actually not true. You actually do care about that. Because if you're in pain, you will care about it. And so you do care about it, even if it's just that negative way, you know. Um, it's very rare that you can find someone who's in excruciating pain who would ever say, well, it would be no better if I was out of this. It's sort of pain is one of those things that brings the idea that it would be better if it didn't exist along with it. It's incontrovertible. So you get your act together so that there isn't any more stupid pain around you than necessary. Well, so then the question might be, well, how would you go about getting your act together? And the answer to that, and this is a phenomenological idea too, it's something like, look around for something that bothers you and see if you can fix it. So now you think, well, let's say, there, let's say you go into a, you can do this in a room. It's quite fun to do it just when you're sitting in a room, like a room, maybe your bedroom. You can sit there and just sort of meditate on it and think, okay, if I wanted to spend 10 minutes making this room better, what would I have to do? And you have to ask yourself that, right? It's not a command. It's like a genuine question. And things will pop out in the room that you know, you like there's a stack of papers over there that's kind of bugging you and you know that maybe a little order there would be a good thing. And you know, you haven't... There's some rubbish behind your computer monitor that you haven't attended to for like six months and the room would be slightly better if it was a little less dusty and the cables weren't all tangled up the same way. And like if you, if you allow yourself just to co consider the expanse in which you exist at that moment, there'll be all sorts of things that'll pop out in it that you could just fix. And you know, I might say, well, if you were coming to see me for psychotherapy, the easiest thing for us to do first would just be to get you to organize your room. You think, well, is that psychotherapy? And the answer is, well, it depends on how you conceive the limits of your being. And I would say, start where you can start. You know, if, if something announces itself to you, which is a strange way of thinking about it, as in need of repair, that you could repair, then, hey, fix it. You fix a hundred things like that, your life will be a lot different. Now, I often tell people too, fix the things you repeat every day, because people tend to think of those as trivial, right? 
you get up, you brush your teeth, you, you have your breakfast, you know, you, you have your routines that you go through every day. Well, those, those probably constitute 50% of your life. And people think, well, they're mundane, I don't need to pay attention to them. It's like, no, no, that's exactly wrong. The things you do every day, those are the most important things you do. Hands down. All you have to do is do the arithmetic. You figure it out right away. So, a hundred adjustments to your broader domain of being and there's a lot less rubbish and there's a lot less rubbish around and a lot fewer traps for you to step into and so that's in keeping with Jung's idea about erasing the dis once you've got your mind and your emotions together and once you're acting that out then you can extend what you're willing to consider yourself and start fixing up the things that are part of your broader extent. Now, sometimes you don't know how to do that. So you might say, imagine you're walking down Bloor Street and there's this guy who's like alcoholic and schizophrenic and has been on the streets for 10 years. He sort of stumbled towards you and, you know, incoherently mutters something. That's a problem. And it would be good if you could fix it, but you haven't got a clue about how to fix that. You just walk around that and go find something that you could fix because if you muck about in that, not only is it unlikely that you'll help that person, it's very likely that you'll get hurt yourself. So, you know, just because while you're experiencing things announce themselves as in need of repair, doesn't mean that it's you right then and there that should repair them. You have to have some humility. You know, you don't walk up to a helicopter that isn't working and just start tinkering away with it. You, you have to stay within your domain of competence. But most of the time, if people look at their lives, you know, it's a very interesting thing to do. Uh, I, like the, I like the idea of the room because you can do that at the drop of a hat. You know, you go back to where you live and sit down and think, okay, I'm gonna make this place better for half an hour. What should I do? And you have to ask and things will just pop up like mad. And it's partly because your mind is a very strange thing. As soon as you give it a name, a genuine aim, it'll reconfigure the world in keeping with that aim. That, that's actually how you see to begin with. And so if you set it a task, especially, you have to be genuine about it, which is why you have to bring your thoughts and emotions together and then you have to get them in your body so you're acting consistently. You have to be genuine about the aim, but once you aim, the world will reconfigure itself around that aim, which is very strange. And, and it, it's, it's, it's technically true. You know, the best example of that, you have all seen this video where you watch the basketballs being tossed back and forth between members of the white team versus the black team and while you're doing that a gorilla walks up into the middle of the video and you don't see it it's like you know if you thought about that experiment for about five years that would be about the right amount of time to spend thinking about it because what it shows you is that you see what you aim at and that man if you can get one thing through your head in as a consequence of even being in university, that would be a good one. You see what you aim at. And so because one inference you might draw from that is, be careful what you aim at, right? It, what you aim at determines the way the world manifests itself to you. And so if the world is manifesting itself in a very negative way, one thing to ask is, are you aiming at the right thing? Now, you know, I'm not trying to reduce everybody's problems to an improper aim. People get cut off at the knees for all sorts of reasons, you know, they get sick, they have accidents, there's a random element to being, that's for sure. But, and so you don't want to take anything, even that particular phrase, too far. 
you want to bind it with the fact that random things do happen to people, but it's still a great thing to ask. If you ask a disagreeable person what, what he wants, say, or she wants, they'll tell you right away. They, they know. It's like, this is what I want and this is how I'm going to get it. But agreeable people, especially if they're really agreeable, are so agreeable that they often don't even know what they want because they're so accustomed to living for other people and to finding out what other people want and to trying to make them comfortable and so forth that it's harder for them to find a sense of their own desires as they move through life. And that's not, look, there's situations where that's advantageous, but it's certainly not advantageous if you're going to try to uh, forge yourself a career. That just doesn't work at all. I think it's best sort of conceptualized as a, as a trading game. So let's say that we're going to play repeated trading games. And if you're very agreeable, then you're going to bargain harder on my behalf than you're going to bargain on your own behalf. Whereas if you're very disagreeable, you're going to do the reverse. You're going to think, I'm in this trading game for me, and you're going to take care of your own interests. Where an agreeable person is going to say, no, no, at best, this is, at, at worst, this has to be 50-50, but I'd like to help you every way I can. One of the things you have to be careful of if you're agreeable is not to be exploited, because you'll line up to be exploited. And I think the reason for that is because you're wired to be exploited by infants. And so that just doesn't work so well in that actual world. And one of the things, one of the things that happens very often in psychotherapy, you know, people come to psychotherapy for multiple reasons, but one of them is they often come because they're too agreeable. And so what they get is so-called assertiveness training, although it's not exactly assertiveness that's being trained. What it is is the ability to learn how to negotiate on your own behalf. And one of the things I tell agreeable people, especially if they're conscientious, is say what you think. Tell the truth about what you think. There's going to be things you think that you think are nasty and harsh. And they probably are nasty and harsh, but they're also probably true. And you need to bring those up to the forefront and deliver the message. And it's not straightforward at all because agreeable people do not like conflict. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Inspired Motivation. We hope that the insights and advice shared by our speaker have inspired and motivated you to take positive action in your own life. 
and pursue your goals with determination and perseverance. Remember, with hard work, dedication, and a positive mindset, you can achieve anything you set your mind to. We'll be back tomorrow with another motivational speaker and more guidance to help you on your journey to success. Until then, keep striving for greatness and never give up your dreams.